welcome. This is To Be Continued, the Coming Out Saga podcast, and I am Amber Birch. At the moment, I use she, her pronouns, though that could change at any time, and I want to normalize that for myself and anyone else. I came out as pansexual at the age of 40 after an eight-year marriage. This podcast is my attempt to sift through the many layers that are part of the after of coming out, and I want to invite you into this conversation and make space for your stories as well. So, really happy you're here. Before we dive in, I'd like to offer this disclaimer of sensitive content that may be discussed at any point during any episode. To include such topics as toxic religion, specifically in my experience within Christianity, trauma, sex, sexuality, gender identity, relationship styles such as monogamy and various forms of non-monogamy, privilege, And last but not least, language. I don't edit my language. I am, however, in the process of unlearning language that is exclusive and heteronormative when it comes to the topics of gender and sexuality, so you will hear me grappling at times to navigate this in the moment. I won't always get it right, but I am committed to continually growing and improving, and I welcome kind feedback on how I could do better. As I always do, I'll strive to approach this content with integrity, honesty, compassion, and non-judgment. I'm really not here to provide answers. Tell anyone else what to think or how to be, period. I'm not here to change anyone's mind or push an agenda. Just to have conversation and exchange stories. I will, however, be sharing from my own experiences some hard truths I've arrived at or discarded for myself that may not align with yours. And I trust you'll know, in your intuitive wisdom, when to step away, or when to stay, perhaps in some discomfort, perhaps not, and sift through what aligns with you, and what doesn't, with gentleness towards yourself, and hopefully with open-hearted curiosity. Before I begin really answering questions that I've received and telling my story, I think it might be helpful to start with why the hell am I doing this podcast? (laughs) The people in my life who have known me for a little bit have often tried to share podcasts with me that they thought that I would enjoy. And this has been going on for a number of years. And for a number of years, my answer has been, Ah, thank you so much, but I am really not a podcast person. I just haven't been in a space in my life where I felt like it was really conducive to listening to audio. Um, I I wasn't commuting um, in a car. I didn't really want to listen to podcasts while I was out walking or riding my bike, <laughs> and so I I just kept putting off podcasts thinking that they just weren't for me. Um, but now I'm in a place in life where I might be doing solo work for a while, and it's the kind of work where I can stick an earbud in 
and listen to things as I work, and it's been awesome. And it's really coincided with this time in my life where I have needed podcasts. So the irony is that I I went very quickly from being <laughs> labeled as not a podcaster to uh, starting my own podcast. Um, but since very recently coming out, I found the bulk of my solace really of, of queerness in podcast stories because, you know, I, I don't have in-person community for the most part, um, that is, that is queer and, um, just opportunity to like learn and build relationships in person with other people who identify within the queer community. And so a lot of my learning has happened, um, just devouring as many podcasts as I can. (laughs) And so thankfully they are available. They're available more, I imagine, than they were, you know, a couple years ago. So thank goodness for that. Um, but I've found that a lot of the podcasts that are available seem to be speaking, um, and I could be wrong. Um, this is not like comprehensive, but I just feel in my search so far, it has yielded mostly, um, stories that are geared towards people who are lesbian and I am not lesbian and I, there's a lot of crossover there that I can relate to. But there's been this element of, I really wish that I could hear um, more diversity in terms of people's stories and experiences with coming out specifically. Um, Like a lot of podcasts I've been listening to, an episode will touch on something that I really want to hear, but the whole podcast itself is, you know, interviewing people uh, who are celebrities or in a specific niche and within the queer community. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's just not what I'm looking for. So I thought, um, there just needs, I mean, overall, we just need more visibility. We need more stories representing, uh, all kinds of experiences that, that we're having. And I will only be able to represent this small sliver of experience um, that is not going to relate to everybody's coming out experiences. But I think that there are some universal things that I'm grappling with that um, people with all kinds of coming out stories can relate to, um, or people that are questioning whether or not to come out, um, people who don't feel safe coming out, people who are just questioning, period, what their sexual orientation or gender identity is. And so I just feel this very strong dedication to putting my stories out there so that if they can benefit somebody else and also help me uh, process through some pretty big things myself, then it's a win-win. Um, so I don't have this huge attachment to what this podcast needs to look like or how it will evolve. Um, we might get a couple episodes in and decide this is all bonkers and 
not really useful or not. Um, but my, my hope really is just to not only tell my stories, but to like open up space for more conversation, for more people, even if, if, if others resonate and don't join conversation that they feel, um, like just a little bit less alone. Um, and I think that's the whole point, right? So that, that is the why. Okay, if you've hung in with me now through all the housekeeping stuff, hello again, and thank you for still being here. I know that's a lot to like get through, but I just feel like addressing all these things up front is kind of important. So let's dive into some actual story here, which I'm doing by way of answering some questions that I received when I did this poll to my Instagram community and was like, what do you want to know about, you know, coming out or my story? And one of the questions I received was from a friend of mine who is just this fellow kindred spirit of a nature nerd. And I laughed at the question because it seemed so random, but was like, what the hell? Let's, let's include this question, of course. Uh, but um, now I'm, I'm thinking that maybe it wasn't such a random question after all. So the question was, um, if you could be any organism other than human, what would you be and why? And... I thought about this and was like, God, how do I choose? Uh, there's so many organisms I could imagine being. Um, but the one that really stuck out to me was a red eft. Now, if you're thinking a, a red what, uh, you're not alone. Um, I had never heard of a red eft or let alone seen a red eft prior to moving from the Pacific Northwest out here to the Northeast. And my first encounter with one was when I was hiking in a nature preserve in the forest, like last summer in upstate New York. And I, you know, there isn't a lot of color in the forest at that time. It's just kind of brown all over the forest floor. And I see this bright orange, look, looks like a rubber, like lizard keychain on the, on the ground. And I think, oh, some child like dropped their toy out here. And I bent down to to pick this up and realized that this is actually a, a living being, not a rubber toy, and was so delighted and stunned. And I, I pulled out my trusty Google Lens app that I use to kind of quickly ID all kinds of insects and wild critters and plants when I'm out and about in the world, and uh, soon found out that that this was a red eft. And I'm super curious, what, who are red Fs? And red Fs um, are amphibians, and they, uh, they are the juvenile form of, of an eastern newt. And um, what, one of the things that is so magical about amphibians in general is just the ways that they transform in the course of their lifetime. 
So an eastern newt begins in a, in a water source, like a pond, and is aquatic. And then their body undergoes this change into the form of a red eft um, that is terrestrial. And they will, they will pilgrimage, basically, from their, their pond sometimes miles away to forest well, where they will hide out under, you know, leaf piles and for, for several years and uh, just be these forest dwellers. And um, they love the rain and just will be out during a rain or after a rain is when it's really easy to spot them in the woods because that's how they draw in their water source and um, they're just really all over the place around here. And it's just so delightful. So when a red eft is, is ready to like basically come to full maturity, you know, they'll, they'll change colors. Usually they'll become, you know, more of like an olive brown uh, color and their, their tails will change and their bodies will change and then they will they will end up migrating back to their home pond and and live out the rest of their life as a full-grown newt and I enjoy watching them in the ponds as well like they're just they're wonderful so initially I thought this was just a fun random question to answer and it wasn't related to coming out but when I kind of shared that with my my best friend, she was like, well, I kind of begged to differ. And she pointed out some of her thoughts why, and I thought that was um, kind of mind-blowing. Um, and so what I love upon, like, really taking in her reflections is just that Eastern Newts or Red Fs, like, they're, they are creatures of transition. And it, they live their lives in this kind of fluidity. Like they go between worlds of, you know, the world of water, the world of forest. They're not confined to, to one or the other. Even just the way that their, their colors change and, and they take on this fire, you know, kind of color element and um, is just stunning. And, um, but they, they basically go through their lives as they're experiencing their own kind of rebirth, you know, that really resonates with me. Um, as, as I have not just come out in my sexual orientation, but as I'm exploring just gender identity and realizing that these are imaginary, imaginary borders that I have lived within and I am learning how to venture beyond them. I am learning to go between worlds and not just be, um, confined to one that I can thrive in the fluidity of of coming and going and and rebirthing myself over the course of my lifetime and I love that and also what's so cool about like newts is that you know they're resilient and resourceful and so if if as a full-grown newt, their water source dries up, they can still live on land. So it's just like this ability to adapt and thrive within, you know, their environment is, it's inspiring. <laughs> so there is my little nugget of <laughs> nature 
trivia slash philosophical pondering for the day. Okay, I promised we'll dive in, so let's do it. I thank you for hanging in there if you're still listening. Uh, Per the questions that I presented on Instagram and answers that I received, there were two that were variations of the same really insightful question, and that was simply, when did I know? Was there an aha moment when it clicked? Or was it more back and forth with myself? Did it feel like clarity? But before I can really answer that, of course, I need to go back and give a little bit of background as to where, where I come from. And Um, you know, prior to my not knowing, um, or prior to my knowing, what was my not knowing? So I, like all of us, was born into a culture that assumes heteronormativity, just assumes it's straight as the default. Um, anything else is anywhere from, um, just, you know, abnormal, um, to pathological, to, if we're going to add moral implications to it, sinful. Um, so I was born with all of that, um, but it was especially deep and pointed in the communities that I was raised in, which were, you know, Western Christianity, evangelical Christianity. Um, and So being a people pleaser from a very young age, I, and a very obedient child, I, I first of all, wasn't taught to really ask questions or think for myself. I was taught to listen to authority. And so when authority said, this is who you are, and this is the way that the world is, and this is the way that God made us, I didn't think to question any of that for a very, very long time. I also didn't have any experiences that I can recall of having to, of, of feeling anything different and having doubts about it or anxiety about it and feeling like I had to deny it or pretend it wasn't there or just reckon with it. Um, and a lot of people that I've, I've heard stories from or that I've spoken with have had maybe longer runways leading up to their coming out where they recognized there was something that was not right and that that they just kind of knew or other people knew (laughs) and it just took a while for various reasons to come to that place of really embracing and, and being able to step into that themselves I didn't have any of that I didn't have any questions I didn't have any experiences that that brought up that doubt for me I always thought, yeah, I'm attracted to to boys, to men. Let's when I say boys and men right now, I'm referring to like cishet. Um and so yeah, yeah, that's that's who I'm attracted to. Um I so 
when people hear <laughs> that don't know me, when they hear my story of how, you know, I, my timeline got divorced, was married for eight years to a man. And then within a, like a year and a half, I'm coming out as pansexual. And it's almost like people assume that the reason why I got divorced was probably because of my sexual orientation changing or just realizing my sexual orientation. And that is so not the case. I had no idea while I was married, no suspicion otherwise. Uh, and being pansexual um, is does not negate attraction to, to men. Uh, it, it, it opens up for anyone. So it really is a moot point. Um, but all that to say, I, I, I didn't have any question in my mind that I was straight until I didn't. Um, or should I say until I did, I'm still getting used to talking on a podcast. So this is not going to be completely eloquent. Uh, so please, uh, bear with me. Um, it's also a little strange having this conversation with myself versus having somebody else with me having this conversation. So we'll just go with it. Um, so fast forward to really the winter slash early spring of this year. And I, I'm in this friendship with somebody, um, that I'm getting closer with who, uh, is gay. She, she identifies as lesbian and we've been friends for a little while. Uh, we're just starting to get closer and we're talking, you know, most days about all kinds of things. We're really sharing everything and I'm just finding it so delightful. And I don't think anything of it until she, um, goes through a breakup. And, you know, my first thought is I'm heartbroken for her to be going through a breakup. My second thought that just dropped down was, God, I really wish I could be with someone like her. And I was so startled. Where did that thought come from? First of all, <laughs> I've never had a thought like that. And so some part of me wanted to just push it aside because I'm like, that's, that's absurd. Why would I even think that? Um, but some part of me recognized that this was a, this was a unique question that had not appeared before. So I should probably pay some attention to it just a little bit. And I noticed that that question pretty quickly when I gave it space to just be there without freaking out and judging it, that it pretty quickly shifted from, I wish I could be with someone like her to what if I just wanted to be with her? And I say that I, so my, how I approached it was I really, I really did just like put this question like on the table and allowed it to exist because I think that sometimes the scariest part is just owning up to a question. It feels so threatening to things that we have considered to be more fixed truths in our lives. 
and having already gone through years of processing questions related to my religion and faith, religious faith, and, and putting all of those questions on the table and watching them just drop away until everything just shifted, I knew how to do that. And I thought, okay, well, here we go. I am putting this question on the table. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I'm going to allow it to be there until I have a sense of clarity about it, a sense of knowing for myself, because this question didn't just drop out of nowhere. This question deserves space. And so I tucked it away, but not ignored it. And I just let it be there. And I continued my friendship with this friend who I'm still friends with. And um, I just started to get more curious about what attraction would feel like to me with somebody who wasn't a cishet man. <laughs> um, and really just feeling around so much into, like, is this legit? <laughs> there's so much question around is this legit so there was a lot of back and forth with that because there there's a lot of ways that I and I'll talk about this at uh, other episodes in more depth but just this idea of imposter syndrome of well I just must be fabricating this this isn't really true I don't have this in this story uh, that that matches you know more of a, a classic narrative of somebody you know that is coming to know their, their sexual orientation, you know, as something other than what they thought it was. And so, um, this couldn't be real. Um, and, and I, I kind of just came to a point where I realized that, um, that there, that my heteronormativity, my attractions really were compulsory that they were what was expected of me, what, what, was, what I was conditioned for, not necessarily what was inherently mine. And um, that I had a lot of reasons to be attracted to this specific person. And what made me also think, okay, it, it wasn't about, um, well, now am I just attracted to women? It wasn't ever about that. I was very clear that I still found uh, men of all kinds um, of, of orientations um, that I found them attractive. But I also found this woman attractive and so I was I, I I wasn't aware really of the label pansexual I mean I'd heard it but I didn't really know what it meant um so I I wasn't going off of a label I was really just going off of like what if I just am the is it possible that I am a kind of person who falls in love with a person and that really doesn't matter what 
how they identify, what gender or not <laughs> that they that I identify with. Um, is that really important to me or is it really getting to the heart of the person that matters to me? And so really questioning the nature of, of that attraction. And I, I arrived eventually at this conclusion that, you know, this was about this person right in front of me. I didn't know how much I would just suddenly be attracted to other, um, other women, um, identifying people, but that I just knew I was attracted to her. And so I finally like was able to validate and legitimize that for myself. It took, it took some back and forth. It took a while, but I, I was able to like get clear about that. And that felt like so freeing and exciting really to strip that away and realize that I don't actually have to love within the confines that I was conditioned to love. And um, I really can just see someone as a person before I really see how they identify, um, what sex or not they identify with, how they identify, um, sexually. And, um, so at some point it did click and I just knew that was my truth. Now that I had this clarity and this aha moment of truth, it was like, where do I go with this and how? So one of the questions that I received was, did you feel like a lack of experience played a factor in seeking relationships? And yeah, it absolutely did. Um, it again, there was this, there was this sense of, of imposter syndrome, um, of, it created the sense of insecurity, doubt and anxiety, almost like, how do I really know? How do I, like, I have to prove the validity of this, this sexual orientation, but how do I do that without having experience to, to really validate it? And, and how do I get that experience? Um, because who is going to want to take a risk with somebody who doesn't have experience? So there's a lot of anxiety around navigating how much do I share with other people? How much do I put myself out there as being somebody that um, is brand new? Um but not wanting anyone to feel like they're being experimented on. That just always felt so yucky to me of, um, I'm, I'm not looking to experiment. And I didn't actually want to ex 
like really explore this with anybody but this one friend (laughs) that I had developed these strong feelings for. So that was kind of a moot point at that time. Um, So I was going back and forth for a while as to do I feel confident enough in this to come forward with my feelings to this friend, to basically out myself to her. (laughs) Um, And that itself is a whole, there's a whole big story there. But what it really came down to was there was this, I felt this sense of urgency in in the timing of things um, to either, I felt like I had this small window of time to uh, either let my feelings be known to her or just bite my tongue and and say nothing. And I ultimately decided, even though I had not met this friend in person, we this had all been, you know, we'd been corresponding, you know, voice messages and um, writing for for like a while. Um, but I just, so there was, of course, that, like, it would be ideal that if we met in person first, right? Um, but we're, it looks like we might not get that opportunity um, before, you know, maybe she starts a relationship with somebody else. So I should, I either take this plunge now and just not know um, if there actually would be chemistry between us. Um, if, if she would reciprocate, um, or I, I just hold it in and I not being someone that's, that's good at just holding things in. I just ultimately felt like this is worth taking that risk. Um, but it was terrifying because I was like, I'm, I'm, I felt like I was, I'm risking this whole friendship. And also I can't provide her any guarantee that, uh, by like disrupting basically what we have between us will be worth, um, will be worth it, (laughs) you know? So it was pretty, it was pretty, it was pretty scary. Um, but, um, but we navigated that and, um, and again, that, that's a whole other story that I might, tell in more detail at some point or not, um, we didn't end up, um, uh, you know, pursuing or exploring a further relationship together, but, you know, the feelings were at, at some point reciprocated and, um, and we worked through it and, um, and it was, it was quite the learning experience. Um, so she was my catalyst really. I would not have had it. I mean, at some point I I might've had a different catalyst, but up to that point, I can't conceive of, of questioning what I had accepted as my truth until, until I had this friendship. And I realized that, um, I had lowered my standards all my life of what I wanted in in a partner because I didn't, I thought that what I wanted was 
asking too much of most of the cishet men that I was coming across. And so, you know, a lower standard was this is as good as they can do. Right? I'm not trying to like make a blatant statement of all cishet men. I'm just saying my experiences were always far below the bar of what I experienced in my relationships or friendships with women. And I, I just never questioned the weirdness of that. Like how absurd that is to, you know, have these two different standards. This is what women can offer and it's up here and this is what men can offer and it's down here and I'm just going to go with this because these are the people I'm attracted to. And it's like, it just, uh, I just accepted that until I didn't. And, uh, so she shook that loose or it was just like, just opened up this whole other world of fuck that. I don't need to like wait around, um, trying to find, I don't need to lower my standards to try to, you know, fit this heteronormative expectation because it doesn't actually fit who I am. So. Um, the next question, um, and this is more, um, this is more, there's a question in this, but I'm just going to read really what this person sent me, um, because it's just, I, um, it's more nuanced. So, um, what this person wrote was, um, My now-deceased gay brother once told me, after I naively said I related to same-sex relationships because I see the deep, more balanced, and quote-unquote easier mental and emotional connection rather than focusing on the sexual aspects, and he quickly said, oh no, it's all about the sex. Having had negative experiences with sex, sex with men, I am sex averse now and never having had a same sex sexual experience. I feel ill equipped at even thinking about it in its totality. Can you speak to this feeling at ease with same sex committed partnerships, but not so much with the active sexual part? So there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) And I think I, I so appreciate this person's vulnerability and honesty and also the complexity of this. Um, I think that this is related to the first question about lack of experience and how that played into at least my uh, anxiety and, and doubts around coming out and um, and also to this topic that again, I'll, I'll dive into in later episode about quote unquote being queer enough. Um, cause everybody has, it's like, there are people that want to police this and say, this is what's really queer. Or that's not quite queer enough. And, um, that's just a bunch of bullshit. So, um, and every person could answer this question differently. Um, could speak to this differently because there is no right way to view this. Um, for this person's brother, 
it may have been all about the sex, and that's totally valid. But for others, sex may not play into it at all. And both are valid, as is everything in between. Um, I, I just want to s- say that some people, you know, some people identify as aromantic, which is, you know, broadly speaking, a lack of romantic attraction to other people. And some people identify as asexual, and there's a whole spectrum of this, um, which, again, broadly speaking, is, is a lack of sexual attraction to others or a low or absent interest in desire for sexual activity. And um, if, if sexual attraction or romance or sex itself are not playing a huge role or any role in a person's you know, orientation or relational preferences or identity that doesn't invalidate um, who they are or their place in the queer community. Um, But so I just want to put that out there. There's so much that could be said to that, but I just feel like it's important to say that. Um, But I could definitely relate to, you know, at that time specifically, like in the very beginning, I could relate to romantically and emotionally being attracted to someone other than a cishet man. But I just had so much doubt and fear around the sexual part. And I thought if the sexual part, if it's not the quote unquote full package, if all of me can't get on board with this, is it real? Um, I was really afraid. What if I hate what if I hate the sex, but I love everything else? Um, what if I will find the deepest, most meaningful, emotional, and even romantic connections with, um, you know, someone who is not a cishet man, but I won't yeah, find sexual fulfillment. How will I cope with that? Because that's like the flip. No, not really the flip. I mean, I, my marriage story is a whole different, it's a, it's a whole, whole big thing that I'm not going to get into right now. But I would, I would say just that it, there was not, there wasn't a lot that was fulfilling in that relationship, but I have experienced some small amount of sexual fulfillment, you know, with a cishet man, um, but not emotional. And so there's just that fear, right? There's so much pressure put on this that I was trying really hard to relieve. And so when I came out to my friend I felt like this pressure to be able to offer something I couldn't offer, which was this guarantee that my confession of romantic feelings and emotional attraction would also translate into sexual attraction and sexual fulfillment. And I, I like full up had to come out and say, I, I want to be able to offer you this guarantee, but I can't because I haven't had that experience And I won't know um, because I also hadn't had the, uh, you know, again, experiences of attraction 
um, prior to this um, to kind of hint that that would be something that like it, where I would lean, you know? Um, so I guess all that is to say that there, for me, there just came a point where I've had to accept that being at ease in some ways was, would be enough. Um, and, you know, for me, again, later episode, <laughs> but for me, the sexual part did follow, and I, I really got validation that I could find a lot of fulfillment outside of cishet men, right? And I, hallelujah for that. <laughs> so, I, uh, I'm good. Um, and so... But even without that, even just with being at ease romantically, emotionally, intellectually, um, that's enough. Um, and I, I think that it, it's enough of a validation to just have to hold that and, and let it be enough if that is, you know, all it was. Um, so I hope that that, I hope that that speaks enough to, to, you know, that particular question. And I thank you again for sharing it. It seems that telling the story and backstory of of my coming out initially has taken up a bit more time than I anticipated. You know, I didn't know what kind of time frame I would be looking at here, you know, when I hit record and start talking and try to address some of the questions I've received. Um, Try not to make this super long in one chunk to listen to. And so I think it's pretty sufficient for this week for a first episode. And I don't want to rush through some pretty significant parts of just the coming out process. So I'm going to save those for the next episode. I received some questions about what it was like to tell people in my life. And I'm saving those for that segment. Um, and, And in that segment, I'll also you know, really dive more deeply into the question of um, coming out or not, because I know that there are people um, who have reached out to me, and I just know there's plenty of people out there who have chosen uh, not to come out publicly, or have done so with only a few people, or who perhaps don't feel like it has been a choice for them, that, um, that it it's, doesn't feel safe. And, um, so I just want to, to give some space for that, um, but also tell why I, you know, did choose for myself to come out and how I chose to do that. Um, I want to talk about, you know, how I went about deciding and and setting my boundaries for, um, how I wanted other people in my life to, 
show me support and what I would accept as love and, and what I wouldn't. And, um, that will lead to the next episode following of loss. Um, so it's when we set boundaries, um, you know, people are not always, you know, able to show up in, in the space that we are asking them to show up. So that is what lies ahead for the next one or two episodes. Um, if you are interested in hanging around with me, um, I will be, uh, probably soliciting more questions. If you have any further questions based on what I talked about in this episode or in, um, you know, the next process of, of, of talking about coming out. Um, if you have any bit of your story that you would like to share, um, I want to invite you, you know, to share with me. Um, you can find me on Instagram, the to be continued podcast, and, um, you can always reach out to me there and, and share with me. And I would love to hear from you. So I just thank you for being here. I hope you have found something that has resonated with you in this, you know, story today. And uh, hopefully we'll meet again soon. <laughs>